Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello and welcome to Behind the Lines. I'm Arthur Snell. Before we get started, I just wanted to tell you about a new podcast presented by my friends Jason Pack and Alex Hall-Hall. Here's a little taster of their latest episode. If you actually want to stop an armed conflict, it's no good saying you're not going to talk to the people with weapons because they're very unlikely to make peace if you don't talk to them. So you find yourself negotiating with people you really don't like. From the Middle East to Ukraine, if we want to figure out a way out of these seemingly endless wars, the ability to negotiate is crucial. And so in this week's episode of Disorder, we're talking to Jonathan Powell. He was one of the key people responsible for negotiating the Good Friday Agreement. I was met by a Northern Ireland office official who told me the biggest bank robbery in world history had happened the night before the IRA who'd done it. I felt like getting back to London, but I had a little theory that once you've got a negotiation like that going, you've got to keep it moving. It's incredibly difficult to get it back up and running again. We'll discuss what it takes to make a successful negotiator and why courageous leaders are needed now more than ever. She said that Tony thought he was effing Jesus. Search Disorder wherever you get your podcasts. What happened was the Ukrainians have never been given the option of fighting a NATO-style war because they don't have air supremacy or air seniority or even air control 50% or nothing like it. They don't have F-16 jets. Ukraine should have said uh, the moment the big war started, or rather the moment when it became obvious that Ukraine was going to fight like fucking tigers, which they have done, then we needed to send a ton. Now, we needed to send everything all at the same time. 14 British tanks, they're good. I've actually hitched a ride on one when I went into uh, Kosovo. 14 tanks is, British tanks is nothing. Something like 50 uh, leopard tanks um, from various bits and pieces of Europe have, uh, have been sent, but that's, again, it's nothing like enough. Thank you for listening to this edition of Behind the Lines. I'm Arthur Snell. With attention now inevitably turning to the Middle East, Ukraine risks becoming Europe's forgotten war. But some people haven't forgotten it, not the least of which is John Sweeney, the man with the lucky orange hat, who's reporting from Kyiv as ever. I caught up with John to talk about Ukraine's situation, its counter-offensive and the stalemate that it appears to have reached, and what lies ahead, a long winter of Russian bombardment. Here's John. So I'm seeing John on my screen now in his lucky orange hat. Welcome. Uh, wonderful uh, to be with you, uh, Arthur. Um, you're back in Kiev once again after uh, a bit of a spell in, in um, Western bits of Europe. Uh, what's it like in Kiev right now? Um, listen, Arthur, I've always been, uh, well, um, when the Russian army was 12 miles away, I was 
um, very optimistic but the, that they couldn't take the city. Um, as I kept on saying, the, um, the internet is still on, the electricity is still on, there are no Russian tanks in my streets and I'm still wearing my lucky orange hat. Um, but that was last year. Um, now the mood is gloomy. Um, yeah. It's been gloomy since the summer and I hesitated to report it because remember everything everything you say that is uh, can cast a shadow on Ukrainian hopes is over amplified by Russia's useful idiots and Russian bots and 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 the whole backdrop to what's happening here in Ukraine is um, is that Russian agents in the West amplify the Russian story and um, diminish the, uh, the Ukrainian story. And so one has to keep a weber eye for that problem the whole time. But having said that, the mood here is gloomy. Um, and I know you're famously, you're the miserable bugger of the two of us, <laughs> and I'm the eternal optimist. Well, I'm, I fear... Um, I fear the uh, tables have turned and that uh, one does feel very gloomy here. Yeah. Let's try to understand what's happened there. I, I um, for what it's worth, I, over over a period of a few months, you know, now and then I'd, I'd speak to, to sort of government officials who, of course, are um, supportive of Ukraine, want to want to put the narrative out there that that things are going well. But it seemed to me that increasingly they were struggling to say that the counteroffensive was really achieving what it wanted to achieve. And it feels as if in the last couple of weeks that has crystallized and everyone from Zaluzhny himself, General Zaluzhny, the, the Ukrainian commander, um, is, is sort of acknowledging that basically they've been fought to a standstill down in, in the Donbass. Is, is, that, is that how it feels to you? You're obviously much closer to it. Yeah, so uh, th there's two things. There is... Um... The failure of the counteroffensive and why, but let's start with what's happened. Yeah, and I first heard this from my pal Vlad Damchenko in the summer. Um, I think it was June, and uh, this is shortly after the counteroffensive had started, and he had a break from the front line. Remember, this is the guy uh, your listeners may not know, but he arrested me on day two for being a Russian spy. Do I look like a Russian spy? And he put up his machine gun. Uh, folks never have an argument with the Ukrainian with a loaded machine gun. <laughs> anyway, good advice. Top tips from from Mr. Sweeney here. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, I was actually booked into the SBU, uh, the Ukrainian intelligence, which is on day two of the big war, was not a healthy place to hang out in. I can tell you. <laughs> and, uh, and I wanted to say, come on, chaps, can you speed up this process, please? But uh, it, that would have been foolish and counterproductive. So I kept my tongue, <laughs> but it was annoying. And um, just before he brought me in, um, and you know, Russian spy, Russian spy, I'm not a Russian spy. Google me, look me up. And then having booked me in, and so that there was no way we could reverse the military bureaucracy, it's kind of like getting a parking ticket, but with machine guns, right? Uh, the, uh, yes. <laughs> the, the, uh, uh, he Googled me and he saw that I doorstepped uh, Putin and I had a challenge Trump uh, and Trump was so annoyed Trump walked out of the interview. And he said, so you've, you've challenged Putin, yes, and you've, you've interviewed Trump and Trump walks out, yes. And he looks at me and goes, I think you have an interesting story. <laughs> now, uh, a couple of things about Vlad. He hitchhiked to Botswana during COVID. Wow. Um, he was... One of the protesters who stood up to the vicious pro-Russian Ukrainian riot police back in 2014 when they were defending a pro-Russian president who subsequently fled to Russia. Um, and then he fought um, in the east in Donetsk for the battle for Donetsk airport. He was one of the cyborgs. And when the big war starts, he spent a quite a, a first few days standing under the bridge at Irpin helping old ladies with their dogs and cats um, walk across. So he's, yeah. and he's now in Ukrainian special forces. So as a courageous and brave and very funny Ukrainian, albeit one who arrested me for being a Russian spy, he's top dollar. And I saw him, I had a drink with him. He had a break uh, from the front line. He's now in special forces. And I said, what's it like? And he says, it's bad. And my kind of, my entire you know, spirit dropped. 
because they hear it from him, it's bad. So what's happened is the Russians have caught up. They've got lots and lots of drones. They took a trench the other day and they found something like 12 packets of fresh Chinese drones waiting to be fired up. The, the numbers um, are incredibly, um, I mean, there's just so many of them. So what happens is they liberate a trench and for some reason, uh, Russian command, which is chaotic, doesn't, doesn't um, twig this. So when there is a rotation out, the new people come in and they capture them or kill them. And, um, and they do this on repeat like four or five times. But after a while, it becomes exhausting and they keep on killing them and it doesn't happen. And Vlad also had a friend with his who was, so Vlad is his special forces, he moves around a lot. The other guy was in the Zaporizhia front, which is the spear head going uh, south from um, um, uh, Zaporizhia city towards Topmak. And the point is, if you get Topmak um, by, if you can get Topmak, then you can put your artillery, which is good for around 30 kilometers, um, or the grad stuff, and it can uh, start uh, interdicting or stopping um, uh, friction-free traffic, uh, carrying uh, ammo, for example, to the front south of Kherson. I heard uh, from a friend of mine, from a friend, that Ukrainian high command wanted to take Tukmak by mid-October. Here we are on 9th of November, and that hasn't happened. So yeah. their plan is running far behind, but also the losses. now. And um, um, Zelensky said this himself, is during the Soviet um, invasion of Afghanistan, the, the Soviet war against Afghanistan, they lost 15,000 Soviet soldiers. And that was enough to be one of the big motors of the destruction of the Soviet Union, a, a failed and catastrophic war, only 15,000 dead. Now the Russian dead is disputed, but Ukrainians are saying something like 300,000 dead or so severely injured but they're as dead and i think that number might be too high but not um out of the ballpark too high but let's let's halve it and say it's one hundred and fifty thousand dead or um horribly injured hopelessly injured that's um you know that's 10 times what they they lost in afghanistan under the soviet union and it has no effect on putin's machinery or Putin's mind. And so the problem is you're dealing with uh, an enemy who is far more pitiless than Leonid Brezhnev. Yeah. He doesn't care about losses. And um, I I mean, um, uh, the <clears throat> Vlad's friend who was in special forces and on this particular front, I said, do you think, uh, um, and it's bad, we lost our armor. What happened was, we were put into a trap. So they're moving ahead with the armor and then the, uh, the Russians shape a minefield. So as they progress, um, they get into a narrower and narrow funnel and it's heavily, heavily mined. And the tanks, the Leopard tanks and apparently a Challenger, I've heard that four Challenger tanks have been knocked out commission, not just one, but we've only seen one, but there are another three. They get smashed up. And then the Russians smash, um, use artillery to smash the back of the column, causing a roadblock. And then everybody in the middle is doomed. And yeah. they did this on repeat. And I said to Vlad's friend, do you think, you know, you could do better? And he said, no, I think we had one shot when we lost it. And this was in the summer. And I didn't want to... I did a couple of video diaries reflecting this, and I got a lot of flack from um, Ukrainian supporters, uh, understandably, but also, you know, what I'm supposed to do. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to tell the truth here as best I can and support Ukraine both at the same time. But um, I, I kind of, I kind of wished it wasn't true. And, and by the way, one of the people who was with me, he, a fantastic uh, chap called James, who was in the British Army. Who who drove um, who drives ambulances um, from Britain to Ukraine, um, supporting them full of medical stuff, all of that. And uh, James had been in the um, 
uh, in the Iraq war, the first one, he's my age, 65. Uh, anyway, when James goes, I say, you do realize who that is? And uh, I said, no. And I said, that is Major James Stewart. Oh, yes. <laughs> Not any old James. Uh, Major James Stewart, who, uh, anyway, we all know about him. Um, and he's a good man, a good bloke. But he, both James and I, um, were struck by the, the two boys, the two Ukrainian soldiers that had a hard time. And, and, and essentially, everybody I've spoken to since, and I've got a kind of range of uh, sources, uh, varying from Ukrainian supermodels, to my friend Max, who runs a Buena Vista, who's pals with somebody high up in artillery, to pals who've got pals who are in high command, um, and everybody's saying the same. Um, so I, and actually when I came back here, I said, How, uh, one of my pals has it going, it's bad, stalemate. And I said stalemate, and then people slagged me off, and then pretty much the next day, both Zelensky, but this uh, was uh, his, um, his his thoughts appeared in this um, article in Time, and then Zelushny, um wrote his piece in the Economist: stalemate, stalemate, stalemate. So why? And th the reason for this is there is um, Western policy, which is essentially American policy, or the Americans are the only people in the game who've got enough uh, material to, to to shift the game have a, a policy um, and it <clears throat> the the first policy is we will defend Ukraine Ukraine will not be defeated Kiev will survive semicolon but we will not give Ukrainians enough stuff to secure victory yeah and and the second part is not articulated yeah I so think that that point you've just made is so important I I sort of hinted at it um, earlier in the year because it did seem to me that that was what was going on. The Americans, as you say, they, they definitely don't want Russia to win, but they don't want Russia to be defeated. And of course, if Russia is tied down in Europe with with a very, very costly war um, and, and that war is it doesn't involve American troops, you know, fighting and dying, you can see if, if you take a very, very sort of cool and cynical view of the world, what, why that might suit them. Um, but of course, you know, it, it doesn't suit Ukraine because Ukraine can never join NATO, can never join the EU if um, a third of its country is is under Russian occupation. It, it's a fifth. Um, it can't join NATO because NATO is a military alliance. It can get pretty close to the European Union, though, even though, uh, the, the, but it, it, it feels uh, difficult, but it, it, it could get close. But let's unpick the um, the Western the unarticulated um, Western policy. By the way, it, it's the American policy, but neither the Europeans or the British are doing enough to, uh, to challenge it in any serious way, by which I mean we should be building armament factories and tanks factories and producing. Uh, by the way, I believe this. The problem is that it fails to understand the nature of Vladimir Putin and his success in poisoning the entire Western democratic system. And it fails to understand that people will say, oh, well, if Putin goes, you might be replaced with somebody worse. And I think that's foolish because Putin is the subtlest and most intelligent tyrant, I think, um, well, in, in, certainly in my lifetime. And what he's, <clears throat> what he's done is he's used Russian gold, dark Russian gold, to buy influence and power and agents, people like witting or unwitting, um, I think this gets me through the libel laws, if not all concerned, deny any wrongdoing, but people like Trump um, and people like Nigel Farage and Aaron Banks, who, who have their own reasons, sure, but effectively they are supporting... Um, Russian goals, Kremlin goals, for example, the election of Donald Trump was a Kremlin goal because they knew that Hillary Clinton would be tough on them. And, and, and Trump was, you know, um, was a masseuse um, with the baby oil as far as uh, the, the Kremlin is concerned. And this has caused terrible, terrible problems. And his anti, for example, 
um, the idea that America under Trump would would um, secure a Ukrainian defeat and that Trump would withdraw from NATO. These are serious possibilities, serious possibilities. Equally, Brexit, you know, a divided Europe, a Europe at loggerheads fighting itself. This is also a Kremlin goal. Um, and and then there's China. So the I think the 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 critical anxiety driving the second unarticulated part of the American policy, we do not want to give the Ukrainians enough material to defeat the Russians, is driven by chaos in Russia if Putin falls. And chaos in Russia, uh, what the Russian, what the Americans fear is an Iraq 2.0. They fear a um, um, Islamist Chechens, for example, um, getting hold of a rogue nuke and threatening the entire Western world, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so this anxiety is, is the, rather than a crude cynicism of, you know, we like it that the Russians are entangled in this endless forever war. It is more fear of the consequences of the Ukrainian victory. The problem is, for me, fear of a bad tomorrow leads to a terrible today. Because, I don't know if you read it, but there was a very interesting article in the New Yorker the other day about a stagnant China. And the closing phrase is, the question is, is a stagnant, I'm from memory, is a stagnant China more or less likely to go to war with the United States? Yeah. And I finished the article. And essentially it's citing, it's citing a, um, how a whole series of Chinese oligarchs have, have disappeared along with various generals, along with anybody who's either got capital or power in the Chinese political system or military power or military office in some rank, how anybody who's remotely critical of Chairman Xi has been disappeared. And when I read the article, it struck me that the, the, the thriving engine of the Chinese economy is being jammed by totalitarian sand. And so the Chinese economy is actually not going up, but go, it's faltering or going down. Yeah, indeed. So what do you do? What do you, what story do you tell your your China's a billion people as they they head toward poverty? You say, listen, our enemies are against us. We have to fight our enemies. We go. Yeah, and there and is, of course, the that that also plays into this idea all around Taiwan that you know Xi Jinping tries to create a kind of false urgency that you know time is running out for us to complete the reunification now of course when he says reunification that normally implies an enormous amount of um uh you know obligation forced on the taiwanese and and again you know a country that is self-confident growing uh its economy is flourishing all the rest of it but just let's go back a bit to the um the ukraine front and i i guess um you know, prior to the start of this big counteroffensive, we we all knew that the, the Ukrainians had come to Europe, they were going to get trained in the best NATO techniques, and then they were going to get the famous leopard tanks. And people like you and me were 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 loudly saying, you know, Germany has to be be uh, generous with it with the tanks and other European countries. And obviously, the UK donated some of its tanks, but it, it didn't work. Now, is is that do we think because actually the tactics were wrong is it maybe that the nato way of fighting wouldn't do very well in a war against russia which in itself is is quite a troubling thought or is it what are there are some other factors in play here yeah uh, by the way um i'm 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 i want to talk about all of that but just going back a moment to china the thing i'm scared of is that putin has managed to kind of mentor xi in, you know what you've got to do, mate? If you want to stay in power, you've got to lock up your oligarchs. Yeah. And then you've got to fight the enemy. Yeah. And and everything Xi is doing feels like a copy. Like uh, locking up the oligarchs is like uh, Putin locked up um, Kodakovsky. And then what happens is the West goes, oh, that's not quite right. But it doesn't hit. There are no serious consequences. And yeah. then 
what you do is you, you know, China's doing, it's messing around in the South China Sea, these funny fake islands pushing on its neighbors, waiting to see who's weak and waiting to see the response. And I worry that, uh, that the Chinese, that Xi um, will actually, um, I think the Taiwanese aren't stupid. If they align with China, then that's their democracy gone. That's their yeah. ability to read the books they want to read. I mean, like, you know, the idea of if you're a Chinese scientist and you have to spend a third of your working day reading the works of Chairman Xi, which is what's happening, you know, it's bad, bad. So I don't yeah. think they're going to uh, vote for tyranny. I think what's going to happen is that tyranny will come uh, and take them in the middle of a contested American election. So that's that's one of the consequences of... American fear of tomorrow, uh, of a bad tomorrow, is leading to a worse today. But yeah. to return to your point, what happened was the Ukrainians have never been given the option of fighting a NATO-style war because they don't have air supremacy or air seniority or even air control 50% or nothing like it. They don't have F-16 jets. They don't have um, enough runways to control it. I've actually, uh, I haven't seen this, but one of my pals has. Suddenly the traffic, you're on a big motorway uh, going from um, um, Kiev westwards to Lviv. Suddenly all the traffic is stopped. And the jet, it's a Ukrainian jet lands and then goes off and then hides in a bunker in the forest. And that's... Um, that's an active Ukraine. Now, you can't do that with F-16. So there are lots right. of logistical problems. But Ukraine should have said uh, the moment the big war started, or rather the moment when it became obvious that Ukraine was going to fight like fucking tigers, which they have done, then we needed to send a ton. Now, we needed to send everything all at the same time. Britain, for example, I've been, um, I went and uh, gave a talk to the King's Royal Hazards, um, Lovely chaps, very funny. Um, and they'd given seven of their Challenger tanks, another regiment had given seven of them, 14 British Challenger tanks. The Russians have lost 2,000 tanks so far, I think. The Russians yeah, have got a... another 8,000. Yeah. Now, 14 British tanks, they're good. I've actually hitched a ride on one when I went into uh, Kosovo uh, along with NATO uh, in 99. But 14 tanks is British tanks is nothing. Something like 50 uh, Leopard tanks um, from various bits and pieces of Europe have, have, yeah. have been sent. But that's, again, it's nothing like enough. Yeah. So you don't have, so uh, did Ukraine fail to fight a NATO war? No. Ukraine actually has done extremely well fighting with not enough kit. Yeah. But there is nothing like, um, and actually the Ukrainians, because it's their land and their, their, their morale is high because no soldier's morale is better than when you're fighting for your land. By the way, this is a, a lesson that the Israeli Defense Force uh, are learning. I, I would um, I would hesitate to say, yeah, no, I've been to Gaza twice. Um, it's a lesson they're going to learn. You're defending your territory. You fight very, very hard. And the yeah. Ukrainians are trying to take it back. They've been fighting very hard. But they don't have air cover or air seniority or air supremacy. NATO fights only ever with air supremacy. Yeah, don't have that. They don't even have a quality of ammunition, a quality of tanks or armored cars or anything like it. The Western stuff's better, but there isn't enough of it in enough quality to make to, a big difference. to make the difference. Yeah, and then and then um, you know there are various horror stories. Like for example, I think the the you know the standard um, shell is 150 millimeter. Yeah, the problem is that the, there is a kind of commission inside NATO and it never got the various NATO countries to properly standardize this. So that, um, I'm hypothecating here, but Italian shells work in Italian guns and not in other guns. Now that may be unfair on the Italian. No, that's, the, that's right, John. It's, it's extraordinary. We think NATO is a standard. It turns out it isn't, you know, and it, if if we were fighting a war, we'd probably figure that out really quickly. And and it's sad that that it had to be the Ukrainians who had to learn that. So the Ukrainians, the the, the problem with the Ukrainians is they're utterly dependent on the West's generosity. Yeah. 
So for them to say, listen, you stupid schmucks, you're sending us kit, which we can't use. It's not interchangeable. Yeah. So we have a terrible supply problem all the time. Yeah. But you can't say that. It was a powerful interview with the former head of the, the Russia desk at the Pentagon who said, he, you know, Trump's policy is, uh, is bad, bad, bad. But Biden's policy of drip feeding Ukraine with military aid is abhorrent. Mm. And again, this is all part of it, it's all part of Western weakness. Yeah. So that one of my friends said, I do not think that North Koreans would have sent a million artillery shells to Ukraine without the Chinese saying, Yes, you can do this. And I sure. think the Chinese are only doing this because they can see that Ukraine is after a heroic uh, defense last year is now in trouble. Yeah. And so, um, and by the way, you know, Hamas attacked and did their evil massacre of Israel on October the 7th, which just so happens to be Putin's birthday. And so while the entire world attention, world focus is on um, the horrors in Israel-Palestine, we're not seeing uh, um, any focus on Ukraine, and um, many more people have died in Ukraine than will die in Israel-Palestine. But also the other thing is that the Chinese and their proxies, the North Koreans, are helping Putin in a far more effective way than the West. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. The next, uh, the gossip is, the next thing from Pyongyang is going to be rockets. Now, the Russians have run out of rockets. I mean... Um, there hasn't been an effective Russian um, rocket attack on Kyiv for for months. Yeah, but, but every time there is one, then the Ukrainians use up the air defense. Guess what? The Republicans are doing. They're saying no more aid to uh, Ukraine. It's a waste of time. Oh, these are the MAGA extremists. But effectively, they can stop and halt aid to Ukraine. It seems absolutely. So, if yeah. North Korean rockets start coming to Russia, and I think that highly likely, given given the lack of push, the lack of effective pushback from the West um, to to North Korea's entry on the supply side on Russia's side, then you can start seeing Kiev getting hammered again because it doesn't have enough Patriot missiles to keep this swarm of. Iranian Shahids and North Korean rockets away. Yeah. And then what happens? Then you can see, um, you know, the mood here is bleak. People are angry and upset. My friends in the Ukrainian army are exhausted. And you can see the pressure growing on the Zelensky government. So what do we do? You know, do we, uh, what do we do with 40 million uh, Ukrainian refugees? <laughs> or do we do the other thing and say, hold on, this is bad. We're now going to make a policy across the West that 
every shell must fit every tank, every uh, NATO cannon. Yeah. Um, that we start opening up, you know, we start building tank factories and ammunition factories. Yeah. Not just in the United States, but in Britain too. Uh, and, yeah. and we're serious about this because the Western world is in trouble. Ukraine is just getting it first, but all yeah. of us in trouble. Yeah. I mean, I think it's certainly the, the the issue of where the US is seems to me very difficult because as obviously listeners will be well aware, they 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 had this near shutdown in the government and then effectively the Congress has shut down, no speaker. And now now they've got the speaker, this new speaker, he doesn't want to give anything to Ukraine. He's he's obsessed with Israel for sort of which is, you know, of course America should support its allies, but that he wants to support Israel because of what it tells him in the Bible, you know, is this is very kind of strange worldview. And um and so Ukraine now does have to rely on Europe. And I'm sure you're aware, John, you know, that Europe is now actually sending more stuff than America is. Uh, but as you say, it's not enough. I didn't know that. Is that right? Well, right now? Yes, right now. So so that the, the, the Europe line has crossed the America line in terms of, of sort of supplies of weapons and um, and aid. And what's interesting, I think, is that but that doesn't, you know, on one level, you could say, well, good for Europe. But actually, as you rightly say, Europe doesn't have the capacity. You know, 14 Challenger tanks is a drop in the ocean. The the the, the shells that don't match the different cannons and so on. So we Europe needs to recognize, it seems to me, that that America isn't isn't necessarily coming back. You know, the, there's two questions there. You know, one, can Trump win an election? He possibly could. But even if he doesn't, you know, Biden's got so many other things on his plate. Um, you know that if if we want to support Ukraine, it's 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 on us. Um, but I, I guess it's worth talking a bit about the Russians because in a way, the first part of the war that when you when you were in Kiev, I remember we spoke and the the Russians were you know you were in Vauxhall, the Russians were in Edgware. Um, that the actually that part of the story was a story of incompetence. That the the famous traffic jam and all the rest of it. Um, but it feels as if the Russians have got two things right. Uh, one is a willingness to throw away their young men. And of course, I it, I hesitate to say that's right, but it's right for their war. And 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 actually, people underestimate how, how many they're willing to kill. And then the other thing seems that actually they have proved to be what people didn't think they were, which is they are a learning force. You know, they've learned from their early mistakes and they've now got a kind of trench warfare that they can sustain and which can grind down the Ukrainians. Yeah, so um, th that's exactly what Vlad said in the summer. They've got better. They've adapted, so that they've uh, they now have more Chinese-made drones than. And remember, the Chinese have been careful. They're worried about sanctions, but they don't care about their proxies, North Korea, or rather, they're letting North Korea um, do the dirty work um, and um, Iran as well. Yeah. So, but essentially. The the Russian killing machine is learning and adapting. It's a bit like the um, it's a bit like the moment in Jurassic Park when you you realise the Velociraptors are kind of a they're they're learning. Yeah, um, uh, I think one of the hunt uh, there's a kind of big game hunter. Uh, he he realises he's been trapped by the Velociraptors, and he goes, "Good girl, well done." <laughs> uh, before he the the horrible dinosaur uh, gobbles him up, and that's what's happening here. Uh, now, um, what happened was essentially with the big war, they stole about a quarter of Ukraine, and uh, last year the Ukrainians were able uh, by hammering away uh, to get Kharkiv Oblast um, back and her son back and and this was a critical moment where western supply should have been massive and instead it wasn't at all and the russians having pulled back were able to under sarovakin the butcher of syria were able to put up something called the sarovakin line and essentially what it is is Three lines of minefields, three lines of trenches, three lines of of of, of, of guns uh, pointed at flanks, and these are very very hard to penetrate. And remember, the yeah. drones mean there's no surprise now in this war, and both sides have got drones. The Russians 
have now got more drones, according to my friends, um, than the Ukrainians. So what the Ukrainians are having to do is to fight trench by trench, but they're fighting a trench warfare. Uh, they're fighting a, a trench war against an army and a society and a dictatorship that doesn't care about loss of life. Yeah. And so the latest word, for example, is the Ukrainian, the average age of the Ukrainian army is 43. Now, this is awful because it means is they're running out of young men um, yep. or they've run out of young men, which is why uh, Zelushny was so, um, you know, you, you read what he wrote and you read his interview in The Economist and, and why the, the impact of that is so bleak. Unless we have some technological big advance, which I think, by the way, I think it, it, you... The West can do this in scale. It just has to produce an awful lot of stuff and deliver it um, and deliver it effectively and in a timely fashion. And this story could change. But for the moment, Ukraine is on the back foot with 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 American aid beginning to falter. Now, I, I want to see how the Republicans who the sensible Republicans will deal with their MAGA colleagues when Ukraine, uh, I hope to God this doesn't happen, but if Ukraine lo loses a city, um, for example, one of the cities out in the east, like Kupiansk or, um, or God forbid, Kharkiv or something like this, and, and then you've got millions of refugees moving um, uh, moving west, moving to Kyiv, how the sensible Republicans will deal with their MAGA colleagues and say, you know, what are you doing? This is the consequence of our failure to do this. And, and the separate nightmare is, you know, what's going to happen with Trump? Now, I, uh, you know, I, I saw the American elections the other day, um, but um, and, and essentially um, Main, uh, Main Street America doesn't like uh, the MAGA's absurd views on abortion. And, and so the, there's a little bit of hope there. But there will be a lot of chaos. And I think it's fatuous to assume that the new America is going to be a reliable ally for us. And we have, to, we have to act as though we can't trust on American military power to protect us. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a devastating thing to say, but I think that's realistic. No, I think you're right. And I think it's I mean, if if you look, as you say, that obviously we're we're speaking literally a day after they've, they've had the election results uh, and the Democrats have done pretty well and they do keep doing well. But if you look at the presidential approval for Biden is very low. If you look at um, the fact that he's obviously, you know, I, I don't buy into this thing that he's he's got dementia. Or whatever. I mean, you know, he's an elderly man, but he's he seems pretty switched on. But uh an elderly man, as we all know, can have one trip up or any little accident or anything like that. And and Trump seems to have this extraordinary ability, um, you know, driven. I guess it's hate. Hate's an amazing fuel because it works for him. It works for Putin. It seems to keep driving him on. Uh, and, and Trump doesn't look like, you know, he, he may be losing his marbles, but I think he lost his marbles in his 20s, probably, you know, and, and he's, he's never got them back. No, he's got. So Trump. Trump hasn't lost his marbles. Trump is a vicious narcissist with, and this is what's quite sort of fascinating and weird, for somebody who's so self-obsessed, he has an, an amazing instinct to smell out other people's fear and weakness. Yes. Again, like the velociraptor in the kitchen scene in, <laughs> in um, Jurassic Park. And, 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 and like Putin, he can smell weakness. Yeah. And then Trump goes for it. Um, and, and what's happening is that Putin and Xi are, are using our own beautiful open societies against us in an incredibly effective way. And we keep on letting them get away with it. Yeah. Um, now, you, you were trying to steer, I think, the conversation towards Russia. Yes. And I, was, I was very taken with um, what um, Owen Matthews and everybody should... Um, read Owen's great book. What's it called? I've forgotten. Um, I'm going gaga. 
Mine's called Killer in the Kremlin. But yes, your book is very good, and it's called Killer in the Kremlin. His, but it's called <laughs> it's called out overreach, overreach. Yeah, overreach. Yeah. So what Owen told you, um, and I, by the way, uh, so you know, uh, you know, my lovely landlady, I've got a, a lovely flat here in Kiev, um, which I rent, and um, come in the summer, come on a picnic. Uh, we've got a little dasher by the river. Uh, you know, they're well off, but they're not fantastically well off. It's a nice little place. Um, just before I go swimming in the river, for some reason, it, it's kind of almost African. Uh, it's very hot. It's rather beautiful. And I find myself just turning um, my head back to the gang and saying, are the crocodiles? And, <laughs> and, and they, 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 they came, so like, OK, folks, you know, it snows here. There are no crocodiles. In the yeah, yeah, the famous they, alligators. When, of... <laughs> when, when, the, when her uh, dad... Uh, did the barbecue it's just kind of like uh he he gave me this sort of chunk of meat and said this is crocodile <laughs> so um but the big number one question at that my landlady's barbecue was what about trump yeah so everybody in ukraine whatever smart in ukraine wants to know is trump gonna win yeah they're, afraid. they're very very afraid and the point is, he may not win, but he can generate so much chaos in the American political system that that America is frozen at the very moment when uh, Russia may be on the front foot and Xi may seize, you know, as I said earlier, Xi may seize his opportunity. But the other thing that when the Owen Matthews, uh, he's coming out to Kiev, hopefully uh, soon. Um, but when he said to you, I, I, I was struck by... You know, the man in the Kremlin, the Tsar will only fall if uh, on three conditions. One is that the economy is a total mess. And yep. the economy is in trouble, but it's not a total mess. Not yet, no. Two is that government has ceased to function effectively, and that is not true. And three, there is a serious alternative to the Tsar. And, and that, that last one is really... Really not, not true. Like, yeah. um, uh, had an accident. He uh, did, yes. Airplane. Etc. 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 So, um, uh, by the way, I'm very confident that Putin has a double. I can actually identify him pretty well. He is a little bit smaller than Putin. He his jaw is more flabby than Putin because Putin's Botox and um, opera, uh, cosmetic surgery. Um, his his jaw is, or rather, his underjaw, his uh, neck is smoother than it should be for a man of his age, but the double hasn't had that. So the 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 jaw and the, the underneck looks flabby. Um, they've, and the, they've skimped on the plastic surgery for the double. Yes, and the suits are uh, are cheaper. Ah, so typical um, typical cutting corners, you know. But the 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 uh, the real tell is that Putin. Um, after um, COVID, it has a morbid fear of people whose um, who's breathing, whose germs he cannot control. He's happy. Uh, you'll see him close up with a couple of the generals who he knows, you know, he's looking at their, um, his spies will um, look at their charts all the time. But he, you know, from Macron and the long table just before the big war, uh, the National Security Council, where he humiliated one of his underbosses, like um, Don Corleone. Yeah. Um, what's his name? Narishkin, the, the SVR guy. Yeah. Narishkin, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, he but the point is, everybody was 20 feet away. Um, and so, um, um, and then when he gave a kind of nationalist rally in Moscow, Russia, 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 about a month after the war started, he's on his own. Uh, normally, uh, you get some fancy lady with a bouquet of flowers for this bouquet of cunts. Can I say that? I just did. Uh, the, um, you get something like this, and that didn't happen because Putin's there on his own. So the real Putin has a morbid um, fear of other people. When Putin, I've written about this for my um, for my patrons, um, and it's it's all free. You just click on it. You can read it now. Uh, another Putin, for example, went to the Dagestan, southern Russian town of Durbent, and he's hobnobbing. Right. It's not a real guy because right. 
he doesn't, you know, he's hobnobbing, he kisses the baby, he kisses a student, he's shaking people's hands. That's the double. And, and the presumably double. it's the dummy that goes to Mariupol of all places. Yes, exactly. Um, the other day after um, the Hamas attack on Putin's birthday, um, um, the double, uh, there's no Putin. And the double pops up and says very little at a kind of Moscow space control center. And he's very close to these uh, nerdy rocket engineers in a way that, oh, that's the double. But I was, uh, and then what um, clocked it for me was a day later or two days later, the real Putin pops up and talks about Hamas and, and Israel, Palestine. But he's he's got a cough. So the reason they sent the double out was because they didn't want to have Putin respond to um, the Hamas attack and Israel's reaction um, while he was coughing and wheezing and sneezing because yeah. he's a superman. But, um, and, and the other thing is the double is uh, shorter, like Medvedev. Um, but the bad news um, is that Putin, the real Putin is alive and kicking. He's functioning. His economy is in serious trouble but not crippling trouble because Western sanctions have not been affected. Because we actually, we are still burning Europe, uh, Russia. Europe is still burning uh, Russian gas and oil. Um, yeah. We're allowing it, um, we are delivering tons more um, bits and pieces, conductors, semiconductors to the stands and the stands are exporting them into Russia. We are not policing sanctions properly. And and there is no op opposition to Putin because everybody is dead or locked up. So, so the, realistically, we've got to look and see that Putin is alive and kicking. His war is going well. He is on the front foot. China is seeing Western weakness and sniffing the wind and thinking, yeah, well, maybe let's take Taiwan because the West aren't going to do anything serious about it. It's bleak, Arthur. It's bleak. We're speaking in early November, and of course, there's a long winter ahead of ahead of you, ahead of us. It it's very important that people start to kind of annoy their politicians in in Western Europe and and say that we need to support Ukraine more because I can't see any other way that this gets better. Yes, so we need to do three things. We need to police sanctions properly. And, and build on them and and go for people and lock people up who break sanctions. Not, not just a slap on the wrist, not just an article in the papers. But for example, our intelligence services, uh, they know this stuff, but they need to, you know, we need to read it in the Sunday Times or whatever. This is who owns what, this is how they're being broken. And then we need to go and lock up the people who are breaking the sanctions so that they work more effectively. And we yeah. need to stop. Um, we need to, and and some of this involves suffering. If we stop burning Russian oil and gas, then prices and gas will go up. Yes, I understand that. But we, but there is a cost of living crisis in the West and in Britain. There is a cost of dying crisis here in Ukraine. Now, the reason I'm saying this isn't just because I'm some crazy Ukrainian nationalist. I'm not. I'm somebody who says that if Russia wins in Ukraine or has some kind of victory in Ukraine, which is more likely than not at the moment, then we're next. And I don't want my, you know, my, uh, my kids or my grandchildren to face grandchild, to, to face the prospect of, of real war. And that becomes more likely if we don't do something. Secondly, we need to start opening up defence industry. And I mean, it's a horrible thing to say, I don't want to do this, but we have to. We have to make shells, ammunition tanks, guns, machine guns. We have to build up the British Army from its basically skeletal state at the moment into something that, um, that's got, it's got mass. It doesn't have mass, it's too skinny. It's been starved. It needs to be looked after properly. So we've got to spend serious amount of money on defense and on that. And the third thing is we've got to, um, we've got to start spelling this out to people. You assume democracy. You assume everything's going to be good. Don't. 
look at, you know, read that article in the, in the New Yorker about China, read the article by Zolushny in The Economist. And, you know, and <laughs> this is not good news. The Western world is on the back front, back foot. The dictators are on the front foot. They're using our democracy against us. They have witting or unwitting agents like Trump who are doing their bidding. And, and our entire machinery is not fit for purpose. We are losing the argument. And I listen, I, I mean, I, 1989, I reported on both the Romanian and Czech revolutions. Yeah. List was it to be alive in that? What's the line from Wordsworth? You're better educated than I am. Bliss was it to be alive in that dawn and to be young was very heaven. There we go. There's uh, That's an expensive education going for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, stop it, John. Stop it. Um, so, uh, daffodils. Uh, anyway, never mind. Uh, so it was glorious and beautiful. It was a beautiful moment in my life. That moment is long past. And it feels like the dictators are back. It feels like 1938, Arthur. John, thank you for joining me from Kyiv. Thank you. Oh, and Vladimir Putin, do fuck off. Almost as soon as I'd had that rather downbeat discussion with John, there was important news from the front lines in Ukraine, and some of that news is positive. So I got back in touch with him for a quick epilogue discussion. We recorded that today, the 17th of November. Welcome back, John. Hey, Hope. Um, it's as if you've never been away, Arthur. Um, <laughs> so, so the good news is, and it's all been a bit bleak uh, here, but the good news is that the, um, the very brave and very gutsy uh, boys and girls of the Ukrainian army, particularly the Marines, have managed to get a bridgehead on the opposite, what we call the left bank, because the way people in this part of the world uh, look at their rivers is they look at it from the source. So in, in a way which I find slightly weird, but never mind. So the left bank is the Eastern bank, the Russian occupied bank of the of the big mighty Dnipro. This is opposite Kherson. Yeah. And the place I'm uh, about to mispronounce uh, called something like Krinky, um, which is where they managed, and, and the river's wide here, you know, it's um, it's a, um, a big old river, and they've managed to not only get soldiers across the little boats, but they've also, uh, the Russians have reported at least one Humvee's been blown up, which means that um, they're using bigger boats uh, to get the Humvees across, and, and maybe other stuff too. And the Russians, um, and, and what's funny about this is, um, the Russians put out an announcement a couple of days ago saying that they are restructuring um, their, uh, their soldiers. And restructuring is Kremlin is a Kremlin uh, word which you can decode as they're going backwards. Um, yes. And then the announcement was deleted and everything disappeared. Um, but of course, um, Ukrainians and their friends are absolutely onto this. So... When this first happened, I was worried that it was just going to be a marginal thing and it didn't have big roots, and uh, the Russians were able to, uh, will be able to uh, knock them out. That is still possible. Yeah. But the longer um, this bridgehead has lasted, the better. And it tells you, I think, two things. The first of which is the Ukrainians are very good at, 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 at buggering up Russian logistics in particular with long-range rocket um, artillery systems, which can, uh, what it does is they, they blow up the ammo dumps, so the Russians keep on having to put the ammo dumps further and further back. And, there's, um, and that means that, that every time they put ammo in a lorry, it has to go much further. And yeah. the, the first moment of this was HIMARS, and that impacted very successfully for the Ukrainians and badly for the Russians last year. This time, they've been given storm shadow uh, missiles by the British. There aren't many of them, but, but effectively, they've had to move their range of their ammo dumps. They were at 40 miles away from the front line. They're now at something like 80 miles away because of the, the range of the storm shadows. Yeah. So 
this means, I think, this is uh, the best possible explanation for the Ukrainian success and the fact that the Russians haven't been managed to haven't been able to flush them out. The second point is a simple one, and actually, there's a there's a, a, a team from ABC Australian uh, Australia, uh, Steve Kanani. He, he, um, he's a great reporter and he's um, he's written a rather good book about uh, the Church of Scientology in uh, in Australia. He's not a fan. Anyway, you can imagine we're pals, which we are. He's just been um, to the front line and he told me the spirit of the Ukrainians was really strong. Yeah. And again, risking this kind of, you know, a, a big river crossing this time of year, that's a hairy thing to do. And that tells you that the Ukrainian fighting spirit is still strong. Yeah, well, that's great to hear. And and it's important that people understand the scale of this. I've been looking at the maps, uh, the river at Kherson. We're talking something a bit like the Bristol Channel, not like the Thames in London. You know, it, it's a big it's a big operation. And and the other thing then is the geography. So for those who are less familiar with the map of Ukraine, this is, if you like, to the west side of Crimea. So it's a way to um, cut off uh, the Russian sort of basing Crimea from from the western side, where, of course, a lot of the operations earlier in, in Ukraine's offensive have been on that eastern side. Um, nonetheless, we are now moving to the winter, which we obviously talked about in our in our bigger conversation. But um, j just in closing, uh, what, what what's the feeling in in the big cities? Obviously, you're in Kiev, where it feels as if Russia will be planning to spend another season of pounding them with air raids and so on. Yeah, I mean, we're all expecting a swarm. So what happens is um, there hasn't been a big attack on Kyiv since May, a, a big and effective attack where, where what you do, so what they do is they, they throw one point um, in May, there were six hypersonic missiles and 12 cru cruise missiles. And then... Uh, another um, 80 um, Shahid drones and the, the, what the drones do is they it's a swarm and um, they it's very difficult for Ukrainian air defense to knock out everything because so much is coming them all at one go yeah now what we're expecting is at some point when it, it and it's starting to get cold here um, that they will attack uh, both the big cities but also the power stations which um, you know keep the heat on um, in the winter, and it'll be a horrible swarm attack. It'll happen on a on a clear day because all the fancy rockets, the cruise missiles, don't need this. I understand that some of the more simple drones, the Iranian ones, they need good weather. For example, the rivers are a bloody good way of geolocating. And so yeah. what you want is like a full moon or a clear sky, at least a clear sky, to see where, so the drones can see where you're going. The good news is it's slightly muggy and uh, not muggy, but it's cloudy today. So it's not, uh, it's probably not going to be tonight. Um, the, like, but we're, we're kind of like, it's a kind of drone. Like there was a bomber's moon in the second world war and it feels like there's a kind of drone moon now. So every now and then the air raids go off here. The air raid sirens go off, Putin's lullaby. And I'm used to it. But every time it sends a shiver in my spine. Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Lines. If you never want to miss another episode, click subscribe right now. We've got some great guests coming up in the next couple of weeks. This episode was presented and produced by me, Arthur Snell, and the theme tune is by Matty Benbrook. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. 
juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.